0: All right, you found us. It's the Husker twenty four seven podcast. I'm Michael Brunts, joined by Brian Kristofferson, who's fresh off the boat, the fishing boat uh, from a week in Minnesota, uh, catching. Uh, I don't really know the fishing the the fishing way to say it, but do you, you catch your fill? What, what do you do?
1: Um, I d- I don't know what. I g- I guess you you get a full stringer. I don't know. That's what we would maybe say. I, I didn't, uh, keep any fish. I, I put them all back in the water. So I, anybody who's concerned about the fish's safety, they're all, they're all swimming around still.
0: So there's a, so what you're saying is there's like a 50 pound bass that, that you startled a little bit and then put him back in the water up there.
1: Yeah, I had a few, uh, had a few uh, fishing fights with some big fish, and you know, it's, I respected what they they gave to me, the challenge they presented, and I put them back in the water. That's that's a, a beautiful thing.
0: We are we are uh, not joined by Mike Schaefer today, who is on vacation uh, on assignment again, and uh, so he'll be back next week. But uh, I guess first off, Brian, what I, I want to give me a fishing story. What's what's your best fishing story? And Schaefer <laughs> told me that you got stuck out on a boat overnight in in Minnesota once. I don't ever remember hearing that story, but um, what's give me your best fishing story and preferably true one, a true one.
1: Yeah. That makes me seem like a real serious angler that I got stuck out on the, on the lake, but that did happen with my mother, um, which also (laughs) increases my uh, fishing cred. We, uh, we went to the sort of back lake, That's, uh, you have to kind of go navigate through some, uh, some reedy, uh, some weeds and lily pads and the water has to be high enough to get back there. And so my mother and I did it one night as an adventure. Um, and, uh, she actually caught the biggest bass of her life. And so this was very exciting and we took pictures of it and then we threw the fish back and, uh, it was getting a little late in the evening And I thought I knew the way to get out. Uh, but I did not. Uh, cause I, and it's darkness started to fall in Minnesota and the trees were kind of hovering over the water and you couldn't make out what was what. And, uh, at a certain point we realized we weren't going to find the small little uh, passageway to get out of the lake, uh, before nightfall. And so, uh, I slept in the bottom of the boat, and my mom slept in the front of the boat uh, for like six hours until sunrise, and we got out. And, so you, uh,
0: you were like a fighter pilot. You didn't know which which way was up and which way was down.
1: Yeah, I got a little confused. Uh, with uh, my senses were a little distorted, and uh, amazingly, you could still get great internet connection out in the middle of the lake. And so I had to call my father, and one of the more he was in Omaha in one of the more embarrassing phone calls I ever had to make and tell him that uh, we were stuck in the middle of the lake. And uh, uh, he actually said he was maybe going to get in the car and come, you know, get us. We're like, by the time you get here, it's going to be morning. We'll, I mean, we'll get out eventually. Um, And we did So I'm here, I'm still here. Um, But yeah, that, that happened and that shouldn't have been the fishing story I just told, but I just did.
0: I see. Do you, have, do you have a happy what's like the biggest fish you've ever caught like wow me uh
1: in our lake probably like a four and three quarter pound bass close to five pounds that's pretty big um i don't know i think i've caught like a eight or nine pound northern some of the some people listening won't be impressed with all that but that in our lake that's pretty good size So, um. Yeah, that's that. That's I, I've had a few good fishing stories. Also, I've had got a couple uh, hooks stuck in my skin at times and had to have them pulled out. So there's been good and bad. Well, okay,
0: uh, we, we can transition off of that. Uh, some good news for for Nebraska football at least. While uh, while you were out angling and uh, you know getting fish to jump into your boat, Nebraska football also picked up a big catch in. Uh, six foot three, 190 pound wide receiver with Charles Neville out of Texas. Uh, not really a surprise. Uh, he'd kind of been a Nebraska lean for quite a while. The crystal ball momentum had been trending Nebraska's way since he decommitted from Virginia Tech. But another kind of big bodied wide receiver to add to this room. What is What does this commitment tell you about? Nebraska's class in 21, and also just the the continued makeup, I guess, of the wide receiver room going forward, Brian?
1: I think the first thing it says is that Scott Frost and his staff looked at the Big Ten and the defenses they go against, and they said, we've got to get a little more size and physicality on the perimeter. And that's not just for getting open in the passing game or being able to high point, uh, you know, catches that's blocking and that's matching up against some pretty physical DBs that you're going to be going against. I mean, when, when Nebraska lines up against Ohio state, which they've had to do every year recently, and you look at, you know, first round defensive backs and some of these guys, I mean, you, you gotta be uh, you gotta be men out there to compete against those guys. And I think those defensive backs have made it a long day for Nebraska Um, on some Saturdays. And so the idea is let's, let's flip that. And uh, Nebraska's receivers need to start making a long day for those guys. So I like that part of it as much as anything, just the, the, you know, maybe what they can bring physically as, as blockers. Uh, but I've, I think they've now kind of answered that question everybody had. You know, will they be able to get the size and, and get some guys who have that 6'3", 6'4", look at wide receiver? So that's good. Uh, but you need a mixture. I mean, there, I have no problem with the guys who are 5'9", and can fly too. And, I mean, the best player on this roster right now, I think, is Wandale Robinson, uh, who's one of the smallest guys on the roster. So they come in all shapes and sizes. It's just about finding that kind of right cocktail – uh, to work together in Matt Lubick's room.
0: It's kind of the, to me, I think we probably hit on this a little bit. It seems like we kind of hit on this every time Nebraska gets a wide receiver commitment. But it, it to me, is kind of the latest example of where Nebraska has, you know, seen a need, um, seen an issue that needs to be rectified, and they've kind of gone out and done that. You know, they. I don't know that Scott Frost was necessarily pleased with the way that uh, wide receivers have been brought along the last couple of years, so uh, that they made a change and and went with Matt Lubick. Um, you know, they they saw a smaller group that wasn't getting open or being productive, and I, I think you you really you know have seen the the results of a, a changeover and kind of who they evaluate and what they do and adding some guys with size. Certainly, Omar Manning, uh, Xavier Betts is not going to. Uh, you know looks small to, to some next to some of those guys as well so you know I, I just think that it's it's finally getting to the point where Nebraska has that room about where they where it needs to be they need to add a little a few more numbers I, I think obviously the the there's still some question marks because so many of these guys are new haven't really produced at the, at, at the college level or been forced to but you know, you're starting to see the puzzle pieces start to resemble the, the picture that it's supposed to there.
1: I like that uh, Neville tweeted the other day, kind of at Omar Manning and Wandale, like basically the gist of it was, you know, that he's eager to get here and learn from those guys. And so um, that's always kind of a, a nice, a, you know, bonus to it all. When you get a recruit who you can tell – um he doesn't think he has it all figured out yet. Let's be honest, his high school stats have been a little bit modest to date, but I think there was an expectation he was about to break out. And, you know, obviously Nebraska sees the potential in him. Um, so I, I like his mindset and how Matt Lubick connected with him. But, I mean, the biggest question about wide receiver, we, talk, we do talk about this position a lot, it seems, is what are we saying two years from now? Um, are we – are the guys we're talking about from 2020 and 2021, are they still in the program and have they started to or already set the foundation for every recruit that's coming in at that position after them? That to me is the big unknown and the big, the biggest job, honestly, that Matt Lubick has in front of him. because you know as well as I do, Brunson, that you go through Nebraska's wide receiver recruits in recent classes And there's been a lot of guys who we wrote a lot of words about, uh, but they didn't play at all or barely played at Nebraska uh, before they they headed out for various reasons. And um, that, to me, is one of the biggest objectives at that position group. You're going to lose guys once in a while. That's going to happen. You're going to get a transfer. But they need to get some semblance of stability there where some guys develop and then they kind of feed the younger guys and then the whole thing kind of feeds itself after that.
0: Yeah. That, that, I mean, that, that's been the biggest part problem that that Nebraska's had, um, you know, recruiting wide receivers. I mean, you, you had, you know, during the Riley era, you know, you, Nebraska went after some pretty big fish and didn't cover itself um, with, with, with numbers and, and depth on their, evaluations if those fish went elsewhere um, you know you saw guys like darian Grimm who you know came for a short amount of time and then took off uh, you know stanley morgan's more of the outlier as somebody that actually finished his career here so that's that's something they have to fix um, hopefully some of these guys will, will stay around and like you said kind of form the foundation and, and you know I, I think the way that you do that too is getting those guys involved and um, in, in early on in that offense.
1: Yeah, there's 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 no doubt about that, and um, I like I like that Matt Lubick. Um, I think he's really showing that he uh, can be a pretty strong recruiter for Nebraska early on, and um, because of his insights of Scott Frost's offense and having worked along Frost so long. I think he's able to explain it very well uh, to especially wide receivers. And I believe tight ends have heard a pretty good message from Lubick too. So you hope this is like uh, a precursor of what's to come recruiting wise, uh, not just that receiver, but also when you think about guys like Thomas Fidone and some of these, these tight ends who will be a big part of the passing game, who have, you know, sat who have heard kind of what Matt Lubick has to offer and, and uh, maybe like what they're hearing.
0: Yeah, and it's he's going to be a guy that's going to have his fingers all over the offense. So I mean that that's one advantage too. I think as a, a wide receiver recruiter, there and what kind of what he can do. But um, just kind of looking, I guess, at, at that position for this season. I mean, wh- what's your expectation?
1: Well, amongst the new recruits, you need you need at least two guys to be pretty serious players. And I think you almost need a three of them to contribute in some ways. And I don't think it necessarily has to be, we always talk about Omar Manning first because he's kind of the most hope high profile, but I don't believe it has to be a deal where he necessarily has, you know, 900 yards, although you would take that of course, <laughs> but let's say, let's say, let's say Omar Manning has like 650, like our, our uh, friend of the pod, uh, Todd Peterson brought up. I think, you know, Mar- Mo Purify's stats, I can't remember him offhand, but his first year, he started kind of slow and then kind of found himself, I think, around the Texas game maybe, and he ended up in the 600, somewhere along there. And uh, if Manning had a similar season, but you had two of the other guys, um, you know, get to 200, 250, that's not bad, especially if Wandale really can stay durable and go through the whole season and, and definitely up his stats. And then, you know, you get some contributions from Cade Warner and, and hopefully maybe one of those redshirt freshmen at least chip in something. Um, then, you're, then I think you, you fill out that pie pretty well, um, even in the absence of uh, J.D. Spielman.
0: And you're probably hoping that you get some tight end help there as well, uh, given that that group's almost exclusively upperclassmen now. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, that's a big question mark for this offense. And if they can take a step forward, Adrian Martinez can take a step forward, um, you know, kind of on down the line. So uh, we'll take a quick break, uh, pay some bills. And then when we come back, we might hit on a little scheduling, uh, might spin the wheel. Um, who knows what will happen on the other side of the break. But uh, stay with us on the Husker 24-7 podcast. All right, and we are back for the second half of the Husker 24-7 podcast. Kind of a, a grab bag here in the second half. Uh, first things first, It's uh, you know we're getting close to 60 days from the start of uh, what we hope is an on-time college football season, a full season. Uh, But 24-7 sports dropped its uh, Big Ten predictions um, for for the season, predicted order of finish. We we can hit on that a little bit. I'm more curious about the West uh, than the East. Obviously, Ohio State was picked to win the East. Not a big surprise there. Uh, Penn State, Michigan, Indiana, and Michigan State following them there. Um, But in the West, it went with Wisconsin – uh, Picked to win with nine first place votes. Minnesota uh, second with two first place votes. Uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, Northwestern, and Illinois. Uh, I was asked to vote in this. I believe that was exactly my um, order of finish that I set. I had Nebraska fourth. But Brian, what what would you what's kind of your look at the West right now as we uh, cross our fingers for football this year and kind of how that's going to look.
1: I think uh, the way they had it's pretty fair. I mean, I think even the most Kool Aid drinking Husker fan would say, okay, fourth, you know, given what's happened the last few years, uh, Nebraska, until proven otherwise, probably doesn't deserve to be any higher. Now, I do I think Nebraska could definitely be ahead of Iowa and even Minnesota? I do. Um, I think, and I think you mentioned this as one of the people voted. Um, I saw that you had a, a paragraph in there about the sort of the parody, I believe it was, um, and how it's just becoming the West, I think is going to become harder and harder to project. And while Wisconsin still sits at the head of the table until someone can uh, take that chair away from them, I feel like two through six, ah, two through seven is, is much more jumbled than it used to be. And, uh, I kind of keep waiting for Purdue to take that step, and I think people are waiting for Nebraska to do it too. I think Nebraska and Purdue are the two programs in the West where, with Frost and Brom, there's a lot of people who say, I, "I like what those coaches have in their background, their resumes they had before they got there." I expect pretty soon they're going to be a pain in the butt to other people. But is it this year, or when's that going to happen? And so those are, I think, the two wild cards. Minnesota, to me. Um, I'm not totally sold that they can just keep churning out, you know, nine, ten-win seasons. I think they might settle back, uh, reverting more to the mean and become like a seven-win program more annually. Uh, But if you look at their schedule, it's, again, not the most daunting thing in the world. So I could see where they, for one more year, especially with Morgan back at QB, uh, kind of put it together and are are definitely in the conversation to win the West.
0: Yeah, when I was putting the list together, I mean, Wisconsin and Minnesota are my top two based on last year. That that schedule that Minnesota has, I think, will help them a lot this season. Um, You know, Iowa's got a big question mark at quarterback. They're replacing Nate Stanley. Uh, Spencer Petras seems like he's the guy there. But, you know, there's always, I think, a little bit of a kind of a, a ramping up time that you need when you're breaking in a new quarterback like that. I think Nebraska can start hot, um, you know, based on what they had coming back on offense, um, especially the offensive line. Uh Purdue in certain dark corners of the college football world is kind of the it feels like they're taking on this kind of like sexy underdog type um type role. I mean, I I feel like like you're right. Everybody's kind of waiting for you know, Rondale Moore to, to lift this team and, you know, everybody loves Jeff Braum and what he can do as a coach. But, uh, you know, are, are they – they're they're operating under a Bob Diaco defense now and that can go a lot of different directions on you, as we've seen. Um, it's kind of like you're standing out on the, the tee box, you know, the, the fairways in front of you, but you're not really sure that you can put it in the fairway. Um, and, and so, you know, those th- –
1: What's that? I was going to say. I was going to say, but Bob Diaco will have wherever his ball goes. He's going to have a really interesting conversation with the with the beer cart driver, um, <laughs> the, in which the the driver might be a little confused by the time they pull away.
0: Yeah, he, he's standing up there on the tee with a tennis racket. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that was kind of the the interesting part to me. And I I think the West is going to be. Um, pretty tough. I mean, I think even Illinois is a team that on the right day can can kind of ruin somebody's Saturday afternoon. So I, I, that to me is the storyline in the Big Ten this year is, you know, is the West going to continue that upward ascent that I think that they're on based on how, how they performed last season? Uh, certainly how, how recruiting has gone the last few years. And I think there's a lot of really bright coaches in the West right now.
1: Yeah, and Northwestern, we didn't even mention, but you always know what you're going to get with them. Whether they win nine games or they win four or five games, every week it feels like they're going to be like in a 20 to 16 game, you know, or a 17 to 13 game. And so, uh, you know, that's that's, that's a tough challenge as well. I was thinking about it between Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. They're all big, but is there one of those three where you would say it's the bit most important for Nebraska to break through this year and get over the top of them? If you had to pick one of those three,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think Iowa's important. You know, it, it just feels like that's one that Nebraska needs. They've been so close the last couple times that they've played that it's almost to me like a, it's like a it's a test of wills. It's like a test of Nebraska's own. Uh, ability to not beat itself, um, you know. It just seems like there, there's a lot of things that that matchup always kind of brings up that have been issues for Nebraska for a long time. And you know, that's that game falls in a little bit different different place on the schedule than it normally does. Thanks, Sean Uh You have, you know, I, I think you know, a, a, it feels like the game matters more to players than what they let on. Um And, and I, I think that would be a big one uh, t- towards the back half of Nebraska's schedule to really get. Obviously Minnesota at home on the day after Thanksgiving would be a big one, but th- that Iowa-Nebraska matchup, it just really feels like Nebraska needs that one to kind of have a little bit of swagger and, and, and to not kind of, uh, you know, ha- have that kind of here we go again type feeling in that matchup.
1: Well, to piggyback off that, if the schedule – if it plays out as it is on paper right now, the Iowa game follows Nebraska's contest against Ohio State and Penn State. But it comes right before Wisconsin and Minnesota. So it's sandwiched right in the middle of that five-game gauntlet. And to further the point that it's as important as any game on the schedule, whatever happens with Ohio State and Penn State in those games, I think most Nebraska fans would say those are hard games, you know, to win. But if Nebraska could beat Iowa, uh you can imagine it like waking up that Sunday morning, uh, with the Huskers having that win in their pocket before heading to Wisconsin and then playing Minnesota. I feel like it it would be like uh uh just like refresh this team and, and give them kind of a bounce in their step to try to finish this thing strong. Because I think there's some people look at the schedule and they're like, Oh man, that's you know How is Nebraska going to even get a win or two out of those last five games? I don't think players are going to look at it that way. And if you can beat Iowa, you could really go to Wisconsin feeling like, hey, let's just take our swing now. We got a big win Saturday. We've got some optimism. There'll be some eagerness to keep playing through the rest of the season. So I think it's such a big deal for just the uh, sort of mental psyche of this team amid that very difficult finish.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you've had a lot of guys in this in this team that have, you know, felt the 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 last two losses to Iowa in a very major way. I mean, like if you go back and watch that game last year, it's kind of remarkable the way that that game unfolded at the end, right? Like you went from feeling pretty good about Nebraska's chances to pull one out to. All of a sudden, a bra- or Iowa's kicker is-, is over there gesturing at your sidelines in a quiet Memorial Stadium, and I, I just—it it feels like a game to me that you know. I-, I-, I think you're right for fans, for this coaching staff, for a lot of the players. It just—you you need that one, and it-, it could be a springboard. You're right. I mean, it- I-, I think it-, it would be the the perfect kind of antidote to whatever you would get if, if you, you drop those games to Ohio State and Penn State, if you can go into Iowa City and, and, and get that game.
1: I feel like Iowa is the ultimate example of where Nebraska, of late in recent years against them, has been hoping they're going to win it. They, I mean, they think they can win it, and they hope they can win it, but there's that difference between that and just believing you're going to get it done. And I feel like if you look at recent games against the Hawkeyes, that, you know, it's probably the snapshot that defines that problem that Nebraska football has had, I think, getting that mentality back where, oh, this is a close game. We've got momentum. Yeah, we're going to finish the deal here, you know. And like you said, last year, you know, Nebraska was behind in the first half, and then they kind of make that charge. McCaffrey throws a touchdown pass. Wyatt Missouri has that touchdown run. And it felt like Nebraska was owning the game sort of in the fourth quarter. And yet I remember thinking at the time, even as somebody who's just watched this the last few years, I just don't know that this is going to end right. Because you just always have that feeling that something bad's going to happen. And sure enough, Adrian, you know, probably made a play like back where he ran out of bounds and then they get a big pass and all that stuff. Um, the exact same thing happened two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so that it's the, it's the exact example of that, which is sort of defined Nebraska of late, which we also saw at Purdue last year where Nebraska grabs the lead back in the fourth quarter and then lets a backup quarterback drive on them for a winning touchdown. Uh, but the game against Iowa, I think, uh, probably highlights this, this issue more than about anything.
0: Yeah, for sure. Should we, uh, I, I, i've got one topic on the wheel um i can spin it i know where it's gonna land but
1: uh spin it anyway
0: all right just for i'm sure you missed it you could hear the the beeping in your head when you're sitting mm-hmm. on the boat in minnesota i'm sure um, actually
1: i didn't actually do a lot of fishing for the record we were i I sat on a raft in in the lake for most of this this trip so uh, i don't want to <laughs> embellish my uh my fishing prowess on this trip. Although I'm a decent fisherman. I don't want to sell myself. Okay.
0: All right. Um, All right. So it stopped. And you know, the week that you were gone, I don't know how plugged in, you were out on that raft, but there's obviously been a lot of discussion uh, in the last few days about kind of what this fall is going to look like college football wise. Sorry. This is a lot of engraving on this wheel.
1: Is this Uh, all on the
0: wheel? This is all on the wheel, this preamble. (laughs) And so, you know, One thing that's been floated out there, there's a report on Sports Illustrated that perhaps some schools are looking at playing more of a regional schedule uh, if things kind of break down at the conference level. Uh, If you were Bill Moose and, you know, had the the keys to Nebraska's schedule, which regional team would you most like to see on Nebraska's schedule this fall if all hell breaks loose?
1: Oh, that's good.
0: Like I said, That's, that was a lot of engraving.
1: Yeah, I need to give a good answer since you put so much time into that. You spent all of last week working on that. <laughs> um, it's got to be. I feel like this has to be a Big Eight school.
0: It's, it's got to be drivable by bus. Is probably yep. what I would say would be the main criteria.
1: I I love when Nebraska plays Colorado, and I never have a problem going out there, Colorado coming here, because just how much the two sides despise each other. But I'd like to give a different answer, I think. Um, It's got to be either – it's not a sexy answer, but I think the best answer would be like a K-State or Mm -hmm. Iowa State. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because it's the easiest one where you could get back the same night. You could get – it, you know, you could – if you go to Colorado, that's a little bit more of a trek. Um, I'm trying to think which one I would pick. I think I would pick Iowa State. I I would like to see Frost Campbell square off. Uh, he's done a nice job with that program. We've seen them go head to head with some recruits, um, and especially in the Kansas City area with like Jalen Noel and some of these guys. So I think that would be a real interesting matchup of two coaches who I I both see as really strong coaches sort of on the climb who have their best years still ahead of them.
0: And and if, if that game were played in Iowa's or in, uh, in Ames, that would probably, you know, of course be the windiest day ever in uh, the history of Ames, Iowa, because it seemed like that was always the case when Nebraska played there, uh, when they were in the big eight and the big 12.
1: Yeah. It would probably snow in September or something.
0: (laughs) Just ice everywhere. Um, That was actually going to be my answer because I I would I would not mind seeing a Frost Campbell matchup, but it it maybe is probably on the outer bounds of of what Nebraska could do, but I wouldn't mind seeing Nebraska and Missouri again. And I I think you know with with new head coach down there uh, at Mizzou, I I think it's uh, there's still enough juice to that rivalry. Uh, from the the Big 12 days, that uh, I I wouldn't even mind going down to uh, Faroe Field again, even though it seems like every time Nebraska went down there recently, it didn't end well. Aside from uh, that rainy night uh, in 2009, but um, that that would be mine. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing Nebraska and Mizzou square off. Uh, I guess Nebraska probably still has that bell somewhere, right?
1: yeah i'm sure they do
0: they they could put that one back up for grabs um but i think that's that's where i would i'd want to see uh nebraska mizzou showdown scott or or scott frost coaching back at Thoreau field would be something too the uh Mm -hmm. the 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 flea kicker storylines would would be unbearable though
1: a strategic one might be kansas i don't want to take anyone lightly when nebraska's you know only won 13 games the last three years but you would get the less miles factor and a nice drivable game. Nebraska's already got sort of a difficult Big Ten grind ahead of it. And so not to take them lightly, but at least in the back of your mind, you could think, hey, you could schedule Kansas, and, and maybe that's a, that's a game where you're the favorite, you know, and um, kind of get you conditioned before you go into, uh, into uh, league play. So that would that would be an interesting option too. Um I guess if you wanted to think outside the power 5 box, but I don't know that they will want to do that. Don't do it. Uh, don't do it. Well, I'm not going to say like North Dakota State, but I w- <laughs> I wouldn't schedule them. No. Um but you got you got Craig Bolson over there in Wyoming and maybe they're going to want to play some football and uh that's not the easiest trek either. You might as well play Colorado. But uh, that would be, you know, that would be a consideration, I guess, if you had to get regional and you thought, okay, they're on the outer limits of it. And also that, that game, that was actually a fun trip when Nebraska played out there the one year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind if they did uh, sort of like a two-for-one like they did where they get two games in Lincoln against Wyoming and then they play one out there. And it's sort of a reward for the, the Husker fans out in the western part of the state.
0: So you want a, uh, every third year trip to Laredice is what you're telling me.
1: I didn't mind it. I did yeah. did you go, were you on that trip?
0: I was, it was, uh, it was fun. It, it was, a. Uh, it was different. Um, you know, as, as you know, well-documented, I have no problem with Mountain West, uh, football. Uh, right. I wouldn't, I would, I would prefer Laramie significantly more to a return trip to Fresno though. So, um, but yeah, I mean that Colorado State would be a, a potential option, I guess. But uh, yeah, the the one that, that that I would want no part of, if I were Nebraska or frankly anybody in this region, uh, would be a matchup in North Dakota State. There is nothing to be gained from playing that game.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's much to be gained from playing South Dakota State. To be honest with you, not they're not as good as North Dakota State yet. But I, it's one of those games where you have everything to lose, nothing to gain, and they're gonna fight like heck against you and it's just uh it's it's a tough assignment with with uh, no big reward attached
0: definitely so hopefully it doesn't come to that but uh you, you heard it here first iowa state and missouri are our votes for a pandemic schedule change you
1: Which got anything else happen.
0: you got anything else brian are we good for the for, for the day
1: I feel like I'm ready to, to hang it up. I get I'll go put my wind chimes up. I'm getting older because I actually have wind chimes on my desk, which are kind of pleasant to listen to, but they were a little causing a little ruckus before I got on, so I, I took them down so people didn't have to listen to that. All um, right,
0: well we'll let Brian get back to his wind chimes. Uh, we we humbly ask one thing uh, for the listeners in the Hustler 24 7 podcast: uh, give us a, a, a rating on uh, in the Apple Podcast. Uh, store on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we like five-star ratings. We love five-star ratings. If uh, y- you're not there yet, uh, maybe hold off, but uh, give us a little <laughs> love on there. And uh, we'll be back uh, on Thursday with another podcast with potentially a uh, our, our annual podcast of Will They or Won't They Redshirt. So look forward to that. Uh, I'm Michael Brunts That's Brian Christopherson. And that's the Husker 24-7 podcast.